Hi, my name is Matthew Viriapa, and you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. On this episode is Choctaw singer-songwriter Samantha Crane. Somehow between us, the air became so thick we couldn't reach to the other an insurmountable divider and a claw. A winner of two Native American Music Awards, Samantha Crane just put out her newest album, A Small Death, an album which she didn't think she was going to make. After her last album, she had to cut the following tour short due to health issues involving her hands and three different car accidents in a short period of time. And the dark period that followed was the reason for the album title, A Small Death. She talks about what it was like going through that period, the eventual making of the album, and her continued efforts to write music in Choctaw. And also, throughout this interview, her voice might sound a little different due to some technical difficulties that we had while recording the interview. But despite that, we still had a very enlightening conversation. Samantha Crane, and I'm a musician. Where are you right now? Um, I'm at home. I live in Norman, Oklahoma, currently. Is this where you kind of normally are when you're not on tour? Uh, it, well, I, I mean, I guess so. Um, normally, things aren't this sort of relaxed. Um, so it's hard for me to say what I normally do. I guess because I'm, I'm. Usually, even if it's not touring, I do a lot of like freelance work um, with art museums and things like that. So I'm I'm still usually like traveling quite a bit, even if I'm not specifically touring, but I'm not really able to do any of that right now. So um, I wouldn't say that this is normal, but it's just how it is right now. Yeah, I've been hearing from like a lot of different musicians that because of, you know, the last three months, this is like the first time they've kind of had like a forced break or vacation. Even if it's just from home, it's like the first time where they just have to do nothing. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty good at doing nothing. I I, I wouldn't say that I'm, uh, I'm definitely good at like taking a break. So I don't have an issue with that. (laughs) But it is the, uh, the first time that, that 
I I guess I haven't been able to tour when I like was planning on it or or needing to. Um, so, but, but you know, it is what it is. As we're talking, uh, this is the beginning of June, but towards the middle of July, you have your uh, next album coming out, A Small Death. Uh, how is this album different from your previous? Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, this album was actually originally supposed to come out in May. Um, it got pushed back. Since this is like unprecedented sort of situation, we, we were like, well, maybe we could just like push it back and things will be like settled down. That's not exactly what happened. But I mean, this record is is kind of interesting for me personally, just because I I didn't really think that I would make another record. I've struggled like pretty um, consistently with uh, some physical elements, um, tendonitis and carpal tunnel. Um, and but my my mental health was like declining quite a bit around the time that my last record was was coming out. And I had gotten into some car wrecks, which had made my physical pain that um, that was normally pretty easy to deal with on a day to day basis. It just like really exacerbated it. And that was affecting um, my mental health, too. And I was I was just having panic attacks and um, just kind of in a pretty heightened mental and emotional stressful state um, and right at this time I was going on tour to promote this new record and I was um, on tour in the UK and basically my my hands were just getting so bad that there would just be mornings where I, I couldn't I couldn't really move them at all and that was just the beginning of the touring for that year I had like a whole two-month U.S. tour planned after that and I just sort of came home from that tour and had to cancel all of those dates because I just like wasn't functioning as a person that was going to be able to play um, a show every night for two months. Um, at the same time, my personal life was sort of in shambles. Um, I really didn't think that there would be any more touring or music. I, I was just focused on like getting back to being um any sort of functioning normal person. So this this record is really interesting for me because it, it was just like a thing that I never expected to happen, I guess. Um I sort of started writing these songs um at first just lyrically because I, I still wasn't able to like play instruments or anything. But then as I slowly started getting usage of my my hands back um I, I started writing music to them and once I had kind of looked back I saw that I had you know kind of written an album and um that I was like feeling better um and so I decided to kind of go into the studio and record it but it it was different because in the past you know there's always been sort of a timeline and expectations um through like record labels or managers or things like that. Um, I could kind of just do whatever I wanted with this. There was no expectations behind it. And so I decided I was going to produce it myself. Um, I'd had some experience with producing records in the past for other bands around Oklahoma, but I had never produced one of my own 
full records. And so um, I think it's just different because it's it's the most that I've ever been just completely 100% in control of, of everything um, in terms of like I knew exactly how it was going to sound and I knew what the cover art was going to look like and I knew what the music videos were going to look like. And so um, it's just the first time that I think I've really had the the confidence to to kind of go forward with all of those ideas because um, there was just like no expectations behind it. What was that healing process like? Just like trying to write songs without necessarily being able to play those instruments yet well at the time I didn't know that I was writing songs like I was literally just like talking words into my you know voice recorder on my phone it was just like I was literally like laid up in bed like depressed having panic attacks with my hands not being able to work just like feeling like I was just like in a really dark spot somehow between us the air became so thick we couldn't reach to the other an insurmountable divider and our claws at my throat thinking Ira must have cursed me I can't say the things I need to I am just an echo bouncing off your forehead that's tilted down to the right. You can't even look me in the eyes. I was literally just like talking through things. I do that a lot just with myself. Um, it, whenever I like don't have access to therapy or something like just talking things out to myself out loud, um, talking through different traumas or different thoughts or different ideas and stuff. And so that's basically like a lot of the lyrics on this record, um, were just sort of voice memos on, on my phone. I, I didn't know that they were going to end up being songs. They didn't start turning into songs after I feel like I had sort of started to recover from a lot of the stuff that was limiting me. I am just an echo bouncing off the glass into our likeness. Whatever that is, someone look me in the eye. That is 
Yeah, so they were actually more like just diaries before any of this. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if calling them diaries is is like worthy. I mean, they were literally just like uh, mumbles, like mumbles in the dark. <laughs> Could you uh, kind of set the scene of like where you typically are when you write? Yeah, normally I sit at my kitchen table. I live like in this pretty small house um, where like the living room and the dining room and the kitchen are all kind of just like crammed all in one little part of the house and like my piano's in here and my guitar my main guitar that I play is like I'm actually sitting in that chair right now I usually have like a pad of paper my computer a couple of different recording apparatuses that I use it's normally how I write is by recording as I'm writing because I like to I like to kind of write while I've got headphones on the reason I sit here is because I I'm like a very like aesthetic person visually and so like I have a lot of things in my house that I they're there because I like the way they look together and I've spent a lot of time sort of scavenging things that make my house look the way that it is it helps me like feel like comfortable and it helps me feel I think safe and free to create so um yeah that's where I normally write I guess in a in a more literal sense, like, have you been able to play the guitar the same way as as before you, the tendonitis and things that you really had to start being aware of with your hands? Uh, yes and no. Um, I feel like I've gotten, I've I've gained the ability back to play the guitar, but I've had to change a lot about how I play. Um, a lot of these new songs are in like open tunings or things that are easier for for me to play i've i've learned how to i think incorporate technical things that still um are interesting musically and still allow me to like i guess do things that are technically difficult like picking patterns or something like that still like allow me to challenge myself like as a guitar player but um, are just easier on my hands in terms of um, stress points and stuff like that. So before, you know, it would be like an entire set of, you know, using a guitar pick and like bar chords or something. And I can't really do that anymore. So yeah, it's kind of a weird thing that I wouldn't expect would be something uh, that I would have to be <laughs> thinking about at my age, but it is what it is, you know, just in terms of like healing from that. Um, it's, it's something that I have got to do now. That's going to be something that I think I'm going to run into those sorts of stories a lot more often about like how we're having to change certain ways that we're playing or something because of like physical ailments. I mean, we're, I'm already running into that just with like, substance abuse you know it's like all of us that were just like in our 20s playing every night and getting you know paid in flats of cheap beer uh, you know we can't like do that anymore and still be able to sing or still be able to drive to the next town the next morning without sleep you know so we're already making changes in terms of lifestyle just in order to like keep going with this um 
So I, I wouldn't surprise me if more people were having to change the way they were playing their instruments too, like I have. Yeah, I've, uh, I've heard a lot about self-care now and trying to take care of yourself and just physical health as well as mental health uh, being an increased like, kind of focus for a lot of different people right now. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of have to. It's like, I, I, and I, I don't want to just like pare it down to musicians. I think it's anybody, like if, if there's anybody that, wants to keep living like a full life anybody that wants to keep like enjoying living (laughs) at a certain point you've got to sort of reprioritize what you're doing and and also um realize that like your body changes as you get older and you've got to kind of tune into that and see um what you can do there it's not it's not just musicians i mean like i think musicians are you know with any with anybody that's lived like a crazy <laughs> crazy in their 20s or something um you've got to you just always got to like check in with yourself and i think figure out the best way that you can just keep enjoying your life and in your 20s it's to get plastered but <laughs> um i think it gets harder to enjoy your life if you're getting plastered the older you get <laughs> That last album came out in 2017, and then, you know, all the stuff you had said pretty much happened kind of in the intervening months. Is that period of time the reason why you call this album a small death? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of at that point, like, regarded myself as, like, a dying person. I really thought that I was going to die. I don't say that, like, with any sort of jest or nuance. Like, I... um. I think when you're when you're like a young person and your body starts to shut down there's the first place that you go is just like oh like I'm going to die I'm literally I was just like really sh- I was mourning and grieving like 30 years of trauma all at once and my body literally couldn't bear it and so I I think I really did sort of view it as that now I I also think that like there's like the really cliche thing of um, when you have sort of these like a near death experience or something like that, you you sort of see the the world in a new way. Like people experience like these really poignant changes in ways that they see the world. Um, after I had written these songs, I was trying to think about like what to call what to call the record. Um, I wanted to encompass that feeling, that feeling of like an a new chapter after just like this really, really dark time. There's also this song on the record called Joey that is about um, a friend that I've had for like 13 years. And it's interesting and rare, I think, at this stage in my life, you know, being in my 30s, to have a friend um, around that you don't have to like give any background information to. They already know like the context that you exist in because they like experienced it all along with you. Joey, why don't you come around and see me? Got plenty of room now that I live alone. Last time I saw you, you were walking in the middle. Your face was sweaty and your outfit was gone 
There's a lyric in that song that's a hundred small deaths, a hundred before. It's just like how you start feeling like you've lived so many different lives. toured with me, produced a record for me. He's, you know, a confidant at times. He's been a stranger at times. But I mean, like we've watched and learned, leaned on each other, like through so many different stages of life. sometimes that we haven't talked to each other for a while but then we like always sort of weave back in um and there's just like something really special about a friendship like that I think it it just like feels really good to be known and, and understood which you can have like with friends you know that are in your life all the time but there is something about that the people that have like known you for like a really really big chunk of your time that you can't sort of recreate 
with any other thing other than just like time. I mean, I think a lot of people get those relationships um, like from their family members or something, but like I don't I don't necessarily have that. So there is. It's I think it's a bit more rare. um for some people, but especially the older you get, because you just like lose touch with people. And that's just, and people, I think feel awkward getting back in touch with, with people after they haven't like talked to them for a while, but I think it's worth it. During that period, did it feel like this was an end of a phase for you? Like this is kind of the end of me being, I guess, a musician. Oh yeah, completely. I, I, um, yeah, that's why I, I didn't feel like I was going to make another record. I just, I mean, without the physical ability to play instruments, you know, I just like spent time doing other things whenever I like could get out of bed. I was just like talking. So I did write some sonnets and stuff just to like pass the time. Um, I was reading a lot. I was going on a lot of walks. I was sort of just like living this really quiet life. But I mean, it was actually really helpful. I think like, it what it wasn't completely different from what's going on now like sort of the great pause that is you know caused by the coronavirus um you know you're sort of forced to sit with yourself and your thoughts and figure out why you're uncomfortable about things um so you start to kind of like search for and learn about who you are outside of the things that you do every day outside of your like, for me, outside of my self appointment and identification as like the musician, Samantha Crane, um, which is something that I haven't had to do in my adult life because I've been doing this since I was 19. And so I sort of felt like I was getting to know myself from scratch, which is like a really uncomfortable thing to start doing. But once you start sort of peeling off this like costume that you feel like you've been, you know, put in or that you've put yourself in you for the first time you sort of feel like you can fully lean into you know your own curiosities and sensitivities so it's almost like a giddiness like in a new relationship or something it's like the excitement of the those like audacious stages of like a new romance almost so like but it's like with yourself it's like getting to know a new person but that new person is just yourself um this record isn't completely sad it's not like it's not something that's like wallowing in this thing that happened to me i found out through this process that i write to as a cathartic thing as as a way to once i've sat and thought about things once i've sat and worked through things, then I write about them to release them so I can move on from that. I think there are some writers that write in order to process things, like they write as things are happening so they can process them. Um, but I don't work that way. I like sit with things for a long time, process them. And then the writing is like the moving on from it. So this record actually is really hopeful, I think, um, because it's it's sort of my moving on from that stage in my life. Were there any other like kind of paths that you were thinking about going down if if you came out of that experience thinking, you know, maybe music isn't really the thing for me and it doesn't have to be? Um, I mean, 
mean, yeah. I mean, like a, a lot of things sort of popped into my brain, but honestly, like I didn't have a chance to really dabble in, in anything because the minute that I had sort of my capacities back, I started playing music again. But I mean, I did work at like a flower shop for a while and I really enjoyed that thought that maybe I could do, be a florist. <laughs> I think that that would make me happy, but I don't tend to limit myself I think anymore to just like identification as like a musician I I since this I've learned I think a lot more to like if I'm interested in something I just need to like hop in there and do it even if it doesn't like make sense like in time or resources or energy um to like whatever my career looks like or is I I just think there's too many things that can like happen in life um, and if you want to do something, you just kind of like need to hop in there and do it when you kind of do the put your eggs in one basket thing, which I've done for a, a large part of my life. Um, when that basket gets taken away, then you have no eggs. <laughs> so, um, I, I think it's probably a bit more, um, makes a bit more sense to, to spread yourself out, um, between things that make you happy. Is that why you kind of decided to start producing albums? I mean, most of the production work that I've done for other people um, actually happened before this sort of stage in my life. I will say that this record um, really, I think, showcases me as a producer. I think, like, this is, like, a legitimate sort of resume of like, hey, I know what I'm doing sort of thing. I think the the other ones that I've done, I think ended up good, but I was still very much like learning and not fully like confident of of what I was doing or um that or just like kind of learning my way around a studio and stuff. But I think with this record, I I think it makes a lot more sense as like a fully realized sort of producer um, role that I took on. So, I mean, and I like would really love to get into that more. It's, it's a giant uphill battle considering like uh, I'm a woman and I live in Oklahoma. So you're dealing with like Oklahoma, which is like, there's not a lot of people looking to hire producers I'm not like super well connected um, just because of in terms of like LA, Nashville, New York stuff. Um, and I, that's, that's out of choice. Like I choose not to be like super connected in into the music industry. So like, that's another battle that I face there. And then also like, there's still like major prejudices against uh, someone wanting like a woman to head up a project, especially in music. So uh, there's a lot of like sort of things I'm gonna have to figure out how to maneuver around, and but I would I'd love to produce more for sure. Yeah, this is um this is your first like self-produced album uh of your music. Can you describe the sound you were kind of thinking of as you went into the studio? Well, I I think that there's an idea in in records. I think the way people like experience records um that intimacy in a record for 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 like a for music to sound intimate it needs to be 
like super stripped down and really raw, but like really acoustic or something like that. I, I think like the main purpose of the production of this record was that I wanted to maintain intimacy, but I also wanted it to be really lush. I think it was all about that balance of like dynamics of, of stripping, you know, building up this song where there's like all of these instruments in it and it sounds like really amazing and lush. Like you could just like dive into this orchestra pit of instruments, but then all at once sort of taking everything away where you're just like, Oh, I didn't know there was a clarinet in there. And now I can like hear this clarinet. That was like a big focus on trying to like achieve intimacy within this record. I, I just wanted it to feel as like personal as it is for me. I, I wanted that to be clear. A lot of times in this period that I felt like I was in a dreamlike state almost. And so I, I wanted, I wanted that to come through as well. And that has a lot to do with like the woodwinds that are on the record and the tape loops that we made for the record um, to add sort of this cinematic feel as well. Is there a song that uh, you can pick out those kind of elements that you wanted to add like this lushness to? I'm I like the first song just because it's in my mind because it just came out this past week but there's a song called pastime that um i wanted it to have this like meditative quality to it almost like you know sometimes when you're like driving and you're like listening to a song on the radio and you're you're like really into it but then this like amount of time passes and you're just like have I been listening to this song for like two minutes or have I been listening to this song for 20 minutes of just being like fully in this loop of a song and that's kind of how I wanted this song to be so what we ended up doing was to find like the tempo that was gonna like get me there I just sort of like walked around the studio like in a very sort of trance-like way and we just like tapped out that tempo while I walked to find sort of where I would naturally always come back to sort of these like background vocals that were just ohms like like when you go to yoga class and there's like 
<laughs> um, that sort of thing. And you don't really notice them too much, but they're there and they create sort of this mantra-like thing that's happening throughout the song. about like what I want the song to achieve, how I want to feel whenever I'm listening to the song, and then go from there in terms of like adding instruments or production elements. But I really start with like what I want the song to achieve in terms of like a moment in time. I go on a ton of walks. I, I use walking as a a major like therapeutic element in my life and so I have a lot of time to listen to music on headphones and that's like one of the main things that I notice when a song like really catches me in a walk and puts me like in a in a moment I try to like kind of break that down like why that's happening and a lot of times it has to do with tempo and a lot of times it has to do with small sort of like elements that are present but not entirely noticeable I guess. Yeah, uh, I had been watching some of those videos that you've been putting out on uh, your YouTube channel with some of the other people who are on this record who engineered it, played drums on it, played uh, guitar and keys. There's a ton of like other Oklahoma talent on this record. Uh, could you just go down and say who they were and what they were doing? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, a lot of these people are, you know, people that I've been playing with for, like, ages who have played on a lot of my records in the past and have been, like, in my band touring at various stages and stuff. But so Brian Webb engineered this record. He's one of my best friends, and he um, ha he runs a studio in Oklahoma City called Lunar Manor. Um, and he's just like super fun to work with. He's hilarious and he's really good at engineering records because he's just like fast, which is good for me because I'm a bit ADD in the studio in that like I have a lot of ideas and I want to get them down like as I'm thinking about them. And if you have like an engineer that isn't super fast um, at setting things up, it can really sort of impede the flow of like creativity, I think. So he's really fast and efficient, um, which helps the way I work. John Calvin Abney played uh, piano 
on this record, um, which is hilarious. I always make him play piano on my records instead of guitar, even though everybody knows he's like a stellar guitar player and that's like his main thing. I, I like sometimes people playing like instruments that they're not sort of uh, virtuosos at, I think. Like I, I like to get a feel of fumble a little bit, I think. So, and, and John's like really, you know, good at the piano, but he also like fumbles around sometimes too, which I think is like important and creative and it just sounds really good. So many years past that I Man, I know too much now. So many years past that I know. Yeah, like Bob Ross, like happy accidents. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, so that's why I always make John play piano on my record. I know the shape of a great Ryan played drums and he's like so stellar like he's just like so he's just like everything he plays feels so good um and it's he's just like so tight and just like plays to the song Kyle Reed uh played pedal steel and he also did some programming um some like drum programming on his MPC which is like a little um sort of drum programmer so we we put a lot of sounds in that and he sort of helped maneuver um turning those into loops and patterns and things like that i've gotten over the shame and little bits few moments where i start humming out loud to drown out the replayed uncomfortable past as if to change the subject
Dan Walker played accordion on on just one song. He he actually he's from Oklahoma, um, but he lives in Seattle now. He plays um, for one of the ladies from the band Heart. Garrison Brown played trumpet. Trevor Galvin, who was like a total Oklahoma staple of like saxophone player, but he's recently moved to New York City. Um, he did the clarinet and the saxophone on the record. Um, I always love working with him because he's he just like has such a large knowledge of like music where you can like describe a feeling or a sound or like a specific song and he'll know how to like play within that guideline. I gotta love myself more than I need you. who's in Annie Oakley and Spinster. She did um, some background vocals on the record. Uh, David Leach, of course, played upright bass. Um, and then Brian Webb also played some bass. I mean, I played guitar and, and some keyboards and synthesizers and did some percussion. And then Brian and I did some sound effects and tape loop stuff together. Um, but yeah. It's kind of a nice little bouquet of great Oklahoma talent, for sure. Were these all kind of like players or instruments that you had in mind? You know, I knew what what the instrumentation was going to be on all the songs. And then, like, I picked the players based on, like, what I wanted the songs to sound like. That thing that, you know, we were kind of talking about, the happy accident thing. Like, I really like stumbling upon those moments, like, in a studio. So... I try to like pick pick players that I know um, are good enough at what they do for it to like sound good, but also are like free enough and creative enough that they like stumble into those sort of weird moments of like, did that sound good? I'm not sure if that sounded good. And then you listen back to it and you're like, yeah, that was weird, but it sounded good. So yeah, I definitely like planned on on who I had in, not necessarily based on like their perfection, but based on their creativity. Was there any kind of influences even outside the realm of like music? Anything that you're reading or maybe seeing? Um, that's a good question. There's a band called the Blue Nile. They were like 
largely active um, in the 80s and 90s. I want to say like 19, I think mainly the 80s. And they sort of have this really like sophisticated take on uh, synthesizers, I think. It's, it wasn't like in your face, it was just like using them as atmosphere. a lot of times I was just like I want this sound that was on this Blue Nile song like that that I found myself saying that a lot while we were recording this record Kyle Reed was actually really helpful in that because he has a bunch of like keyboards at his house that he just like finds at thrift stores and he puts all of the sounds onto his MPC and so we have access to all of these keyboard sounds from like the 80s and 90s so that was that was helpful because we actually had access to like this directory of stuff that would have been on like blue nile throwing hats up in the air a city perfect in every detail easter I was really listening to like a lot of sort of soundtrack stuff at the time, like on my walks. Um, so a lot of production, I think, sort of like exists in that world. The soundtrack for this movie called Me, You and Everyone We Know. This guy named Michael Andrews did that soundtrack and there's a lot of these sort of really beautiful, poignant, thoughtful um, pieces on that soundtrack that I was listening to a lot. Where would you end up just kind of wandering around? I mean, mainly, so Norman, Oklahoma is like a pretty cool town to walk around. Um, There's like all of these weird alleys between each street that I don't think I ever really noticed, even though I've lived here for like five years. you walk around a place or ride your bike around a place they become very different and I don't know what that phenomenon is I think it's just you're going so fast in a car even if you're you know only driving 20 or 25 miles an hour yeah really just wander around Norman just kind of looking around and sometimes not paying a whole lot of attention but um paying attention like when it mattered like sometimes you get really absorbed in your own thoughts so you're just kind of you know, looping thoughts over in your brain, which is what walking is good for, is to to work past, you know, thoughts that cause anxiety and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you would just look up and, you know, there'd be like a beautiful sunset or something. Having moments like that are really helpful and really healing. that silence inside me that expands into the dark 
with the traffic lights all changing for no one anymore. The karaoke laughter tumbling out the door. Might as well with contemplation of the pleasures I endure.
don't know, it's kind of hard to think about at this time, like what, what was sort of influencing that, um, you know, I recorded this like a year ago now, so kind of hard to think about what would have been completely, you know, influencing me at the time. I know that I was watching a lot of like Hitchcock films and that ended up like pouring into, like I directed this video for a song called Garden Dove, um, on on the record and it was definitely sort of like my version of like a Hitchcock film. How do you do? My name is Alfred Hitchcock and I would like to tell you about my forthcoming lecture. It is about the birds and their age-long relationship with men. Been working hard to be I want you to go as quietly as possible. Do not make a sound until I tell you to run. All I wanted for Christmas was your love. Ride the bus a hundred times for fun. I'm working.
yeah, Garden Dove, uh, those initial, like, kind of just bare chords gave me, like, a very, like, I don't know, like, MTV acoustic Nirvana session, I guess. Actually, that reminds me of another sort of inspiration. I was listening to, do you, do you, have you ever heard the song Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground? Hanging around downtown by myself and I had so much time to sit down and think about myself. Yeah, so like they have this like one hit wonder sort of thing um, that had that vibe of like MTV early 90s like unplugged sort of thing and that I was like listening to their record a lot because I found it on cassette tape at a thrift store and they did this thing in every song where the guy would just go yeah who's that casting the via stairs in my direction mama this surely is a dream yeah yeah mama this surely that was like his like tagline and I just like kind of fell in love with that and so yeah that I can totally see how that came out in Garden Dove hanging around downtown by myself and I've had too much caffeine and I was thinking about myself and then there she was did you ever do that on on this record like just kind of background like like I know what you're talking about with the like 90s kind of weird mumbly kind of stuff that was happening before between singing yeah i think i did it on i think it was on this song called reunion on on the record i think i did something like that to see about writing songs in Choctaw and if if there are any on this new album there is a song um on this record um called when we remain um I'm I'm kind of slow at getting into this because I'm basically like learning a language from from scratch um you know I when when I was growing up I just knew like a few main sort of key words in Choctaw so I didn't speak the language so just over the past few years, it's become something really important to me, writing in the Choctaw language. Um, I believe in the survival of indigenous languages is like the most important foothold in the survival of indigenous cultures and tribes. And I think, you know, I wanted to write sort of like a Choctaw version of something like the old protest song, um, We Shall Overcome, which is like one of the protest songs that they would sing a lot like in the 60s. We shall Oh, come. 
shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Oh, Something we could like sing through our hardships and into our victories and survival as like a lasting tribe of people. this a bit to a friend of mine named Tommy Orange who wrote an amazing book called There There. Um, there's a lot of kids growing up who are raised by generations of people that were that were like taught to be ashamed of who they are. So you have people's grandparents who were told, you know, sent to to schools that were run by white missionaries. They were told to cut their hair. They were given white people names. They were told they couldn't speak their own languages, sing their songs, um, perform any of their own traditions like basket weaving and stickball and all of those things. And they were told to assimilate and to be ashamed of being Indian. And so what you have are you've got kids that are my age and younger who, although they're still indigenous, they're still Choctaw and Cherokee and Kiowa and Osage, they are running up, they're butting heads with this 
um, lack of confidence in their own identity because they were raised by people that were that were told to be ashamed of themselves and to assimilate. And so even if they wanted to get involved, um, even if they wanted to learn the language of their ancestors, they run into this lack of self-confidence and thinking that they're not Indian enough and feeling like, you know, I'm not Choctaw enough for that. But I think me writing in the Choctaw language is a way for me to sort of hammer home this idea. Um, I think getting out of this mindset that like something has to look like the traditions of our ancestors in order for it to be, you know, called Choctaw or Cherokee or Kiowa, um, you know, for the survival of our tribes, we have to start seeing our, the things we make and the way we are and the way that we we decide to live our lives as being sort of like this, the new traditions, the addition to that, I think. So I just think it's important um, or else things are going to slowly, you know, start to be more and more watered down in terms of like people having the confidence to, you know, learn the languages of their ancestors or learn the traditional arts that are actually really hard to come by now because, you know, they were traditionally passed down orally and and through families. And when you lose a generation or two or three of that, it's really hard to like go back and, and figure out how to do those things again. So you only have the confidence to reinsert yourself to learn those traditions if you have the confidence to, you know, reclaim what you're doing as new traditions, I think. I've been through my goblet when I was a kid And a ball of scars still there And I remember so clearly the blood everywhere A quivering chin and a single tear I want it to be tough for you Thanks again to Samantha Crane for taking the time out to talk to me. Go to kosu.org to find a list of all the music that was included in this episode and also how to support Samantha Crane. As we park near the Christian thrift store We smell the downtown female popcorn in the rain I want to do bow out Hesitate some more But I want it to be tough for you Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Viriapa.